Jaffa Guide. Just letting you know the next week's show will be pre-recorded. It won't be live, but we'll have we'll put something on for you. Do a little traveling, a little bit. Anyway, if you uh, want to do uh, some um, traveling grace prayer for me, it's definitely, definitely welcomed. Listening to KBOO Portland on 90.7 FM, K282BH Philomath on 104.3 FM, and K220HR Hood River on 91.9 FM. KBOO Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBOO in accordance with the requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBOO Community Radio's open meeting policy is available on our website at kboo.fm. Due to the temporary closure of in-station activity at KBOO, meetings will be conducted online via video conferencing unless otherwise noted. A public link and phone number to attend the meetings are available on our website. The Finance Committee meets the second Tuesday of the month at 6 p.m please visit our website at kboo.fm to verify that a meeting is All right, it's Undercurrents. Gabriela Castellan here with you. Very excited about the music I've picked out for this next hour. We'll hear Geneva Magnus, Haunted Summer, Ringo Starr, and Paul Simon. And let's begin with the Teskey Brothers.
Trombone Shorty, thanks for listening to Undercurrents, American music with a passport.
From the album Going Home, a tribute to Fats Domino, that's Robbie Robertson with Galactic and the song Going to the River. In front of that, we heard the Rolling Stones from their album Honk, that was Rain Came Down. It was Trombone Shorty with Good Company, and at the top of that set, the Teskey Brothers with So Caught Up. You're listening to Undercurrents. I'm Gabriela. More great music is up ahead, like this one from the Reverend Peyton's Big Damn Band.
Great song, great duo. Taj Mahal and Rai Cooter with I Shall Not Be Moved. In front of that, Geneva Magnus brought us Lover Girl, and it was the Reverend Peyton's big damn band with no tellin' when. You're listening to Undercurrents. I'm Gabriela. Stay tuned because we'll be back with I in just a minute. Undercurrents made possible with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and the friends of Undercurrents like you. Thank you so much for your ongoing generous contributions. Now, here's I. This is KBOO Portland, listener-powered, non-corporate community radio. Hello and welcome to Pathways, where you are invited to join me for a visit with leaders in personal development and cultural evolution. This is your host, Paul O'Brien. In this era of pandemic and political polarization and catastrophic climate change, many of us feel overwhelmed by anxiety for our future. They say that roughly one third of Americans will struggle with anxiety disorders in their lifetime and the rates in children and adults continue to skyrocket. 
Anxiety is dangerous and damaging and it should be prevented, avoided, and even medicated, right? But what if the anxiety as disease story is false? What if it is actually harming us? Today, we're gonna to discuss a radical reinterpretation of anxiety. Our guest is Dr. Tracy Dennis Tawari, author of the new book, Future Tense, Why Anxiety is Good for You, Even Though It Feels Bad. Dr. Tracy is a professor of psychology and neuroscience, director of the Emotion Regulation Lab and co-executive director of the Center for Health Technology at Hunter College, where the mission is to connect researchers, community stakeholders, and technology innovators to bridge the healthcare gap. As founder and CSO of Wise Therapeutics, she translates neuroscience and cognitive therapy techniques into gamified, clinically validated digital therapeutics for mental health. She has published over 100 scientific articles and delivered over 400 presentations at conferences and for corporate clients. She has been featured throughout the media, including the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, ABC, CBS, CNN, NPR, the Today Show, and Bloomberg Television. And we're very proud to have Tracy on the Pathways show today. And she gave me permission to call her Tracy. So hello, Tracy, and welcome to the Pathways show. Hi, Paul. It's great to be with you. God, I should have sent you a shorter bio. That was exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you know, you've done a lot of stuff, and we're happy to tell people about it. Oh, okay. thank you. Well, let's start out with the definition of anxiety. What, what is it exactly? Anxiety is something that we often equate with fear, but it's quite different. So anxiety is nervous apprehension about the uncertain future. So that means that anxiety actually has very little to do with the present moment, present threats. That's what fear tells us about. It tells us that there's a snake about to bite us. Anxiety makes us into mental time travelers. We're going into the future and we're looking around the bend. And here's the really fascinating thing about anxiety. It's helping us imagine not only the bad things that could happen, the threats and the dangers, but it also helps us keep in mind that there's still positive outcomes that are possible, that we can still hope that there's potential to work for a good outcome. And so anxiety, because it's it's this thing that makes us think about the future and then prepares us to act on that information, it actually is an asset when it comes to averting disaster and making our dreams come true. You write that humans are made to be anxious. It's embedded in our ancient defensive biology intrinsically connected to our deep-seated need for human connection. And anxiety is what makes us different from other animals. Please uh, expound on that. You know, we scientists are, I, I think, part of the misunderstanding here because we've spent so many decades studying anxiety in just one way, which is how does it link up to our ability to handle threats? But really anxiety is is about so much more. It's a much more complex emotion and the biology of anxiety really shows that. So anxiety um, is you know, linked not only to our fear brain and our threat detection system, but it actually is also interest, uh, really integrated into our social brain. So when we're anxious, for example, it primes us to, it primes the release of oxytocin, which is the social bonding hormone. Oh. And this is a, yeah, this is a, a biological response that actually pushes us to reach out to others, that, that makes us want to connect. And good thing that it does, because when we're connected to others, that's one of the best ways that we handle stress, 
that we seek support, and then actually, and to do the thing that anxiety is really about, which is to handle and cope with uncertainty. This human condition of uncertain future. When we're with others, we're better able to handle that uncertain future. Yeah, but it's the very uncertainty of it that makes it so hard to bear. You know, it, 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 maybe, you know, when we reach out to others, the oxytocin response is about uh, seeking comfort in the face of uncertainty. And seeking resources. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So comfort, resources, and, you know, and you put your finger on it because anxiety, this emotion we hate. I mean, I tell people, oh, anxiety is good for you. They're like, oh, it's like I'm selling them broccoli all the time, you know, and, you know, and I'm a fan of broccoli, but I would even get tired of broccoli after a while. But, but it has to feel bad because it has to make us sit up and pay attention. It has to orient us to this possible future where, yeah, something bad could happen, but we're still in it to win it. it we have to wake up and anxiety makes sure that we wake up, like, kind of like a smoke alarm. And you know, when you hear a smoke alarm, you're not gonna go, like, put earplugs in or go into another room so you can't hear it. You're gonna pay attention. You're going to see if there's a fire. You're gonna check if there are batteries. You're going to act on that information. And anxiety is just like that for us. Okay, so anxiety has a valuable uh, function to perform in our lives. But how do we make it, but it doesn't necessarily feel good, and how is it that we make it worse? What are the ways that we may actually make it worse? There's, there really uh, is a very clear recipe for making anxiety worse. And it's something that this disease story of anxiety primes us to do. So this idea that anxiety is dangerous or a malfunction primes us to what? It primes us to avoid anxious feelings, try to eradicate them and try to suppress them because that's what you do to something dangerous or a disease or a malfunction. But that's exactly what increases anxiety. So the more that we, and we know this, like you're, you know, our, our grandparents could tell us this, the more you try to push something down, the more you suppress it, especially feelings, the more it pops up. And so it's, it's you know, the sad truth is that by, by us psychologists and mental health professionals teaching people to fear their anxiety instead of considering it a part of being human, we set people up to do all those things that amplify it and that are opportunity costs. Because when we avoid anxiety, we don't build those skills to cope with it. And anxiety is a skill like any other. You have to work at it and you have to practice to get good at it. How do, what do people typically do to cope with uh, feelings of anxiety? Well, I think we see uh, an example of that sort of, well, we can have look at some healthy examples and then we can look at some examples of when it goes off the rails, which is really in a sense what we call anxiety disorders. So, and this is an important distinction because I, I, I believe and have devoted my 20 year career as a psychologist to studying anxiety disorders and trying to prevent and remediate them. So anxiety disorders do exist. No, there's no doubt about it. But you only diagnose an anxiety disorder when the ways that you're coping with these feelings of apprehension and anxiety and angst that the ways of coping are getting in the way. So imagine that you're developing a lot of anxieties around uh, social situations. Maybe you fear the judgment of others or you fear, fear um, that, that, that you're not good enough or you're, you'll humiliate yourself. That feeling of anxiety is very powerful. If you cope with that feeling by not going to parties anymore, maybe slowly not showing up for Zoom interviews <laughs> or, or, <laughs> or work or, it's, 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 it's that avoidance. Those are all forms of avoidance. And it's that avoidance when it starts to get in the way 
of living and loving and, and living well that you diagnose an anxiety disorder. A, a more positive way that you could cope with that, if I find myself anxious, many of us did during the pandemic when we were not so used to being around people, maybe you practice little by little being around people again. Maybe you take a social skills class. Maybe you you know, build up your confidence and, and practice little by little. So those are ways that engage with the uncomfortable feeling of anxiety that help us go through it rather than around it. And, and those are the ways that help us gain emotional skills, anxiety skills. You know, you mentioned how people could have certain kinds of core beliefs that could trigger anxiety or, or trigger a lifetime of an anxiety disorder, like, you know, there's something wrong with me or I'm not good enough. And it seems like social media could exacerbate that for a lot of people because they're always comparing themselves all the time um, and, and, and fearing the judgment of others. Um, and, uh, you know, I know that I, I kind of experienced that in my life uh, in a kind of a different sort, well, in a different sort of way. I grew up in a very religious household and I became anxious about God judging me as less than perfect. And wow, how do you get away from that? You know, <laughs> you, you know that's a, so I was diagnosed as having a generalized anxiety disorder and I trace it all the way back to the influence of this fundamentalist religious upbringing that I had that taught That's me very to be, interesting. Yeah. You know, that taught me to be God-fearing, you know. Yeah. I hate that expression, God-fearing. But anyway, um, Yeah, that you know, I was raised I was raised Catholic and I I know that kind of a an approach. The interesting thing about any faith is that there's room for all of these perspectives on on anxiety and judgment. I mean, do you do you worship a worship, uh, a merciful God, or a, a you know a fire and brimstone God? You know, there are these these ways, and and um and you know, and I it's, you see a lot of religious teachings across the religions, sort of having this stance towards anxiety. You know, um, there were many early Christian thinkers who talked about in your anxiety, put yourself in God's hands. So that that, and really it was these early, it was the early Catholic church in medieval Europe that re really transformed anxiety into a sickness of the soul. <laughs> we, because, because anxiety understood as an internal process was really about our souls in relation to the threat of, of eternal damnation. So there's, right. all, it's, it, so you bring this up and it's very interesting because there's a lot of history to how we started thinking of anxiety, not as a feature of being human, as an as a as a part of being human that that has advantages, but rather as something that's a signal for danger. And so it goes really far back for us. Yeah, I know. I I, I like to joke sometimes that I grew up Catholic too, and I went to Catholic school for thirteen years, so I really got the full treatment. But um, I like to joke, you know, that God's having an identity crisis. He can't fully decide whether he's the God God the Judge or the God of love. And uh, the God, the judge always seemed way more real to me, not to deny the other aspect, yeah. but I, just, I never really felt it because I was just always so worried about doing something wrong and yeah. displeasing God or my parents or whatever. That's so interesting. And you know, this is where I think this, this in a way, this highlights a really important stance that I'm taking in this book about anxiety that our mindset that our beliefs and kind of the filter we put on our, you know, our belief systems, you know, you're talking about your mindset about God and religion. I believe that our mindset about anxiety has a profound effect 
on how we cope with it, how we work with it. In a way, anxiety has this PR problem. And the PR problem is that it's, it, it, you know, as you said before, it me, when we feel it, we're broken. When we feel it, something's about to go wrong. When we feel it, we're going down the path to anxiety disorders. It's the, it's the judgmental God of, of hell and brimstone, you know, of fire and brimstone. Yeah. And what I'm saying in the book is that, yes, anxiety is painful, but it's an ally because, you know, and you have to negotiate with an ally, right? Neg allies aren't necessarily easy. It's an ally because it prepares us and really capitalizes on this triumph of human evolution, which is to think into the future. That's where we're really distinguished from animals in this way, because an animal can feel fear. But to imagine an exquisite detail, a future of all these possibilities and hold them all in mind at the same time, well, that is, that's uniquely human uh, as far as we can tell. And, and what do we do when we can hold these possibilities in mind? We become more creative. We see possibilities. Right. We can work to, to make our, the reality we want. Right. you know, emerge. You know, you point that out in the book. It's really brilliant. I think the way that you discuss the difference, you know, one of the strategies for managing anxiety is to stay in the present moment. If you're in the present moment, you know, you're not really dreading anything. You're not fretting about the future. But you say this ability to visualize future possible outcomes to decisions or, or choices we might make is confers an immense advantage to our species and to uh, our creative potential. Uh, I, I thought that was a really a great point. I was very, very excited to re read that. Now, you talk about creating a new mindset about anxiety, so a fresh set of beliefs uh, that allow you to learn from it and leverage it. Uh, so, you know, l let's talk about those beliefs for a second. You know, what kind of visionary beliefs would you recommend? There, there, there's some kind of simple, simple but hard to do, <laughs> simple, uh, fra a simple framework for thinking about this mindset. Um, and there's, there's a couple parts to it. One is that um, we have to practice distinguishing, distinct, excuse me, we have to practice distinguishing between the vicious cycle of anxiety and the virtuous cycle of anxiety. So this vicious cycle is the one that's primed by this disease story, which is that we fear uh, that it's a danger signal. You know, we feel it and we fear it's a danger signal and, and then we flee from it. So it's these sort of, it's, you know, you feel it as dangerous, you, you fear it and you flee. It's sort of the three Fs. And that's what keeps us down this unhealthy, kind of unhelpful path of anxiety because you just don't learn to go through it. You're just going around it all the time. Instead, a, a helpful mindset preps us for a virtuous cycle, which is when we think of anxiety as information and preparation. And so what I was describing before about this, this uh, what anxiety is, I described it as information, right? It's information about the uncertain future. And that information is that something bad could happen, but something good is still possible. You're not despairing when you're anxious. You still have hope and you care about your future. I, you know, I was someone who suffered from clinical depression as a teenager, and I can tell you that was about despair. Anxiety is different in that sense. So, so you have this information, something good is still possible. And then that information prepares you to do something. So anxiety is about action. It's like this wave that moves us forward. So it prepares us to 
take protective measures to, you know, to avert disaster, but to also take productive measures to be more creative, to be innovative, to think outside the box so that we can make that good thing happen. So if I'm anxious about an interview I'm going to be doing, then, you know, tomorrow or today, and I'm feeling that anxiety, it's giving me information. I care about it. I don't feel quite ready. So then the, then the, preparation is, well, maybe I can go over a few ideas again and think about some things I really want to share with my, with the interviewer. Or maybe I just need to take a, you know, a five-minute break, have a nice cup of tea, and get myself to a good place. So whatever it is, by listening and leaning into anxiety instead of avoiding it, I'm using that to propel me to take helpful action for the future. So that's one way that we can kind of start shifting our mindset by just practicing that. You know, I like the way that you point out that uh, anxiety is fascinating because it acts like fear, but contains qualities of hope. And I thought that what you taught um, about the relationship uh, and similarity of anxiety and hope was was fascinating. Can you uh, share that with our audience? Yes, it, it really it really hinges on what what you were highlighting before that when we think about a future. Um, that is potentially negative, anxiety just allows us to see and care about a future that's still positive. And that's where hope lives too. It's this discrepancy between where we are now and where we want to be. And so I'm hopeful about a job interview I have tomorrow and I'm anxious about it. I'm hopeful, you know, maybe I'm anxious about the future of this world, but if I'm still in it to make change, I'm also hopeful. And so so these two feelings really go hand in hand. Um, and someone said to me after we were talking about this idea, I said, I thought it was the most beautiful um, synopsis of this. She said, oh, you know, I started to think of myself as someone who struggles with anxiety, but that just doesn't fit my personality. So now I realize that I'm someone who actually struggles with hope. Right. Well, you know, that brings in the whole uh, question of, of despair too. I mean, hope is the opposite yeah. of despair, but um, we're not going to go there. We've got to, we've only got 30 minutes. Yeah, here. that's so, right. <laughs> so you say um, the most common mental action we take that helps anxiety uh, um, achieve uh, uh, the idea that we can make good things happen is something we're all familiar with. It's worry. And I found that fascinating. So how does worry differ from anxiety? Well, worry is the thinking part of anxiety. So they often go hand in hand. Now you can feel anxious. Like we, we've had those moments where we feel anxious and it's just sort of free floating yuckiness, right? And, may, and we don't necessarily have this worry, this repetitive thinking about the future. Really it's our attempt to exert control over that future because we're problem solving. It's not usually it's so effective it's, if it starts to spiral, but it's our mind's attempt to plan for that future. I mean, if we never worried as a species, we would still be living in caves because we would be sitting around the fire. You know, it's like, you know, fear is that that cave bear is like, you have to deal with it right then. Worry is knowing that there might be a cave bear in that cave that you want to sleep in that night, tonight. <laughs> and, and maybe you should check it out and make a plan so that you don't just walk blithely into the cave and the, and the cave bear eats you. So I, so I really think that anxiety and worry as the thinking part of it has allowed us to build civilization. You know, you point <laughs> out we try so hard to control uncertainty um, and in worry is, 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 a, is a way that we do that. Um, it makes us, you know, you say worry is the belief that we can control the future. Um, 
you know, what is it about, you know, can, is there any way to make uncertainty your friend? I mean, I suppose if somebody was totally in the present, uncertainty wouldn't bother them that much. Um, what, what are your thoughts on uncertainty? We're certainly dealing with a lot of that uh, these days, more more than ever, probably. More maybe oh, now. I agree. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, between, I mean, uncertainty was on the rise even before the pandemic. And then we just got a pandemic of uncertainty plus, you know, everything else. Right. I think that, and that's why I think that we're thinking right now that we, we feel as if we're living in this age of because it's so inextricably linked with uncertainty. I think that uncertainty, again, this is a sort of a mindset shift too. We are uncertainty radars as human beings. Our brains are actually more sensitive to uncertainty than we are to threat or danger. And neuroscience research shows this. So if you see how active the brain is when it faces something negative, it's even more active when there's ambiguity and uncertainty. So that's why anxiety evolved to help us do something in the face of that. I think that the other, the flip side of uncertainty with you know, this sort of mindset reset is that it creates possibilities. And so when we feel that anxiety about some uncertain future, this is where we get into the virtuous cycle of anxiety, which is something I started talking about and didn't describe. The virtuous cycle of anxiety is all about listening to that anxiety in the face of uncertainty and, and figuring out what that information is, and then, and then making the time to leverage that, that information to take action. So if you're like me and you wake up sometimes at 4 a.m. with worries going through your head, you know, some of us might just be like, right? I mean, we've all been there. I, it happens probably a few times a week for me these days, just my life right now. But what I do is I take a breath. And yes, you know, be here now is amazing, but sometimes you have to let your mind be in that future and listen to it. So the other day I was listening to my worries and I realized that I really dropped the ball on something at work. And it was kind of a mishmash of worries, but as soon as I stilled myself and took a deep breath, that was the one that rose to the surface. And I realized, okay, if that's what's bothering me, if that's on my mind, it's, it's true, I have to take care of this. So then I decided to take action. And I knew that I had to do X, Y, Z to deal with this ball that I dropped. And I had to take responsibility and I had to do it tomorrow. So I made this plan and don't you know, the minute I made that plan to take an action, my anxiety started going down. So again, listening to it, it was telling me that I was on the right track. And when I got up the next day, I did take most of those actions that I'd planned. And it really was a great, actually it had a very big positive impact on, on my work situation. So that's, a, and so by listening and leveraging, I was able to really get into a more virtuous cycle of dealing with that anxiety. And then be here now, you have to learn to let go as well. So you you're riding the wave, you're building these skills. You can't always be in this future tense mode. Right. Then we can do all these things we know that bring us back to the present, whether that's exercise, mindfulness, meditation, yoga, or maybe just taking a walk in the woods, whatever it is, we can use that as our repertoire to flexibly kind of move back and forth in time and, and come back to the present when we need to. You know, this reminds me of something that I've talked about on other shows called hurry sickness. And one of the things that you recommend is to slow down, is to just slow down. And that can be so hard because we can be in a hurry. Oh my God, I've got to fix this problem as fast as possible. I got to get this off my to-do list. You know, so I, I thought that was really good advice. The other thing that you say towards the end of the book is like one of the best predictors of health and happiness is having a sense of purpose in life. Uh, 
And then when you channel your anxiety towards pursuing and prioritizing your purpose, it becomes courage. Wow, I thought that's such a great reminder. You know, it's sort of like I've studied Buddhism, and in Buddhism, you know, in the, in the Christian, you got faith, hope, and charity. And in the Buddhism, you have wisdom, courage, and compassion, which is their equivalence. So they think of hope as courage. And I, I, I got that from reading your book. I, that, that was really beautiful. Thank, oh, you. thank you. I never totally made that connection to Buddhism. I think you're so right. That's beautiful. Yeah. So With the hope and courage. Yeah. Right. So maybe anxiety can help us uh, identify our sense of purpose in life. A hundred percent. And, you know, it's it's um, it's very apropos that you bring up Buddhism. You know, I've been very involved for many years now with the um, with the Rubin Museum in Manhattan, um, which is devoted to the cultures of uh, the Himalayan cultures. So Buddhist and Hindu art and, and, lit and literature and 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 we've been working on projects there. Um, one of them is called the Mandala Lab. That's really about the transformation of emotion and negative emotion to understand how they get in our way, but how we can also channel them and transform them. And I think um, that that Buddhism and, and, and Hinduism and some of the Eastern traditions have some very beautiful and interesting techniques that allow us to do this. I think it's present in Christianity and Judaism and Islam as well. Um, and so it really is about finding those teachings in the, in the faith of your choice. Yeah, well, that's beautiful. Well, I want to thank you, Dr. Tracy. It's, there's so much more we could explore and, and, and go deeply into, but we have run out of time for today's show. And before we uh, end the show, I want to be sure to tell our listeners about your website, where I know they could find pointers to getting your book and taking advantage of, of, of your other uh, work. And that's www.drtracyphd.com. That's drtracyphd.com. And so thanks again for being with us today. It's really, it's really fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. It was a really fun uh, conversation. And for those in our audience who may have tuned in to Pathways Late today, this is your host, Paul O'Brien, author of Intuitive Intelligence, a book that shares the theme of Pathways, which is personal and cultural evolution. Now, don't worry, you can play and or share this interview whenever you want via the internet or as a free podcast, and I'll tell you how in a minute. Today, we've been visiting with Dr. Tracy Dennis Tuari, author of Future Tense, Why Anxiety is Good for You Even Though It Feels Bad. And I wanna say thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to Pathways, which is broadcast and streamed on the internet at www.kboo.fm, produced every Sunday morning by Donald Altman or myself at 8.30 USA Pacific time. And even better, podcasts of today's show, which you can listen to and forward to others, are available for free at divination.com. That's spelled D-I-V-I nation.com, as well as via iTunes, my YouTube channel, and other free podcast servers. This is Paul O'Brien reminding you to tell your friends about Pathways Radio and Podcast. You're tuned to listener-supported community radio, KBOO Portland. Like the KBOO Community Radio Facebook page. Find KBOO Community Radio on Facebook and like our page and have events, ticket giveaways, and great information delivered directly to your personal feed. One out of every